Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the News Agent Podcast. My name is Andrea Warmington, and I'm the Senior Content Manager at Good Lord. Today's podcast is a recording of our webinar with Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme. He joins Ollie Sherlock to discuss the regulation of property agents. Now, the regulation of property agents report was published a couple of years ago now and set out recommendations for regulating those who work in the property sector. And although the recommendations are yet to be implemented, they are still firmly on the horizon. And Sean and Ollie are discussing what living agents should expect and how they can start preparing now. So let's get into it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's Good Lord webinar. We're going to be talking with Sean Hooker today um, and discussing all things Europa, so preparing for the regulation of property agents. And we're going to discuss a few different points in regards to the regulation of property agents. First of all, we're going to cover the importance of Europa. Um, we're also going to talk about how the regulation could impact you as letting agents, which is vitally important, of course. Um, and then understand exactly why this, this level of regulation is coming in. Um, so that's what we'll discuss today. Um, again, it's a pleasure to be joined by Sean Hooker. I think Sean is on the line. Are you there, Sean? I am indeed, Ollie. Good morning, Sean. This is, of course, a London derby free zone. We don't want to talk about anything <laughs> to do with that this weekend. If the result was different, it would be different, and we would talk about it for the entirety of this webinar. Um, but on that basis, how are you this morning, Sean? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Ollie. Yes, um, I'm uh, working from home still, like a lot of us are. Uh, this afternoon, uh, I, I, with trepidation, I'm going to get my first uh, COVID jab. So uh, I'm feeling full of beans at the moment. Uh, later on, I'm not sure that I will be feeling so uh, so great, but it's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, hopefully this uh, will mean that we can all start resuming uh, normal life again. But it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, a strange past year. Can't believe it. Has, has, hasn't it just? I'm looking forward to doing these sessions, hopefully with attendees in person, so we can see everybody's faces and actually discuss things in more detail and also go for a beer afterwards. Um, but uh, as we are, we have to remain in this virtual world. Um, and this is a series of webinars we've been doing uh, for the past 13 months. And actually, the Roper webinar we did last time got quite a lot of traction. And I think it was because Roper is obviously a new initiative. Um, I think it's yet to be fully understood, even by us. I think, you know, the, the details aren't out there. So again, the caveat to this um, is that we are still waiting to understand certain elements of Roper. Um, but I think we're all intrigued, Sean, to understand where we are so, where we are so far, uh, the importance of this initiative, um, and any insights you can, you can provide to us. Um, so let's get into it and let's uh, let's go through the body of the of the webinar. So can you talk us through exactly why this is going to be a, a, a you know potentially a seismic shift for the lettings industry? Well, I mean, uh, thanks. You know, thank you for having me back. We uh, we we did it. It was a very uh, uh, lively uh, session that we had the last time, and that's why we wanted to put this one on as a kind of an update. Uh, but as you say, uh, in some ways, you know, we're uh, you know we're months. Uh, forward and nothing's appears to have happened so a regulatory framework for uh, uh for the lettings industry has been something that the industry is being aspiring uh, to for well 
ever since I've been involved in uh, in in it, and uh, I I started up in 2007, coming from the insurance industry, and we started up at that stage in 2007 a deposit scheme, and the deposit scheme was one of the first bits of legislation that came in that actually you know was directly aimed at the lettings industry to try and bring it into some form of uh, accountability and standards. And of course, up to then we had uh, uh, we had uh, some very good uh, voluntary organisations, and from 2007 onwards, the laws started to come thick and fast, mm. and uh, more and more people were adding more and more legislation and uh, things that people had to comply with. But there was no kind of like a, a overall framework or kind of um, body or whatever you could look to to say. This actually is what is the professional regulation of what is a significant industry in uh, in the country. Anybody could set up as a, a as a letting agent. Anybody could set up as an estate agent. There were the laws in place. As long as you, you tick your boxes from that, you could start your business up. But this was seen as. Um, well, how do you measure it? How do you how do you gauge standards? How do you know that the people you're dealing with are professional, trained, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And that's the kind of the aspiration of what uh, a regulatory framework would look like, uh, if and when we get it in place. And there's and there's four sort of key components, I think, isn't there, to to Roper itself, including you know the fact that all residential agencies should be licensed, you know, all staff delivering reserved activities should be qualified to an offer level three, which is an A A level equivalent dear to a code of practice. All company directors and managing directors should be qualified to a minimum of off-quill level four, so one higher. And there will be, if this is introduced in full, a new regulator to oversee the compliance of this. So this is quite a substantial piece of, quite a substantial change, isn't it, really? Because like, like you rightly say, the, there's been no barriers to entry. And I think at this stage, it's important to point out this isn't because we think collectively the industry has a problem. It's essentially to to, to root out any uh, of the minority uh, out there who aren't following the right processes, who aren't doing the the industry uh, a service by doing their jobs dutifully. Would that be fair to say? Yes, I think it's fair to say. But equally, uh, for people who are uh, have got into the industry uh, with good intentions, want to do the right thing, it, it, this will help them because it will give them something to which they can reference to and that they know and measure themselves and benchmark uh, about how how they successful that they are doing the job that they are trying to do so it isn't just about rooting out the uh, the roads although that's very very important that uh, we we have a safe environment and that when uh, people come in to exploit the industry that there is uh, enforcement and punishment for them but there's also the carrot side of it is building up that professionalism and reputation of people who want to do the right thing so if we look at it on both of those sides you know it it should be a win-win there's a question come in on the chat from um, Kevin, and he's looking at this from a property mark perspective. So, you know, it, this may be a question for, for the, that we pose to, 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 to relevant members of property mark. But he's asking to asking for clarification uh, on property's mark position in terms of I think the qualifications, and really pointing out that actually on the basis that they're doing property mark qualifications and this, 
and potentially others, there's a lot of work coming down the road. Should this be a consideration of time? We're going to get onto this in terms of how it affects agents. And the beauty of this webinar sometimes is that we don't follow the slides pertaining uh, uh, to questions that come in. But should this be a, a real consideration this year for letting agents, do you think? And with that in mind, what sort of level of activity should they need to doing in line with the second question of how this regulation is going to be enforced? A very, very good question from Kevin. And absolutely, this is uh, not so much a waiting game as a getting ready game. We're waiting for the government to, to put pen to paper and, and uh, try and put something through as a law. But that doesn't mean that we should be uh, um, standing still and not preparing and, and taking our own destiny in our, in our own hands. That's the big point. So in terms of uh, Arla and uh, Property Mark, uh, and they are, uh, you know, Property Mark has been in operation for a good number of years. But it is actually a trade body. It's uh, if you look at it as a trade body, it's a club. It's a it's a voluntary thing to join. So it's not mandatory, and, and therefore it only represents a, a proportion of the industry. And so, therefore, their role, is, in my view, is to, to it's to lead the way uh, in terms of standards and uh, professionalism. But uh, they don't have a role, in my view, in being a regulator or an enforcer. Property Mark is there as, you know, to work with their agents to uh, to raise the standards. And what's needed, what's missing in the equation is an, an independent uh, reference point and, you know, that will oversee and make sure that the industry is living up to the standards that it aspires to. Mm. And Alwyn um, adds on the, on the chat, thank you, Alwyn, that there's a good set of short videos in the Property Mark uh, YouTube channel relating to um, what, what I presume is Ropa and Property Mark. There may be a good point of call uh, for Kevin there on, on his question. So the regulation, let, let's hypothetically say the regulation's um, introduced. How do we expect this regulation to be enforced? Because, um, as I said earlier, one of the directives was that, a new, was that a new regulator would be appointed to oversee the compliance of this. What, what's our understanding of this so far? Well, our understanding of it so far is that the regulator, uh, when they are set up, will, of course, uh, um, need teeth. It will need uh, enforcement powers. At the moment, what we've got is we've got uh, a host of enforcement going on at the moment. Um, Whether it's all coordinated and works well together is another matter. So the lead, uh, the leading uh, um, enforcement agency at the moment is uh, National Trading Standards Estate and Letting Agents Team. So this is a a relatively small group of people based in both Paris in uh, Mid Wales and Bristol City Council offices and and they basically oversee and are the lead enforcement agency for all the individual local authority national trading standards um, operators and this was uh, seen as a very positive move when it was introduced because it at least gives one focus point for reinforcement across the country. But what we've got to remember also is that you've got national trading standards who deal with kind of uh, consumer um, issues uh, and trading issues. But you've also got the health and safety side of it where you've got environmental health offices, you've got local authority um, um, housing 
teams. Uh, and this all needs to kind of uh, be focused and coordinated by one overall body so that it's, there's a joined up thinking. At the moment, you know, you, you know it, it, it's piecemeal in, in many ways. So, for example, I'll give you a good example of where it works really well. So National Trading Standards in London are doing a massive uh, campaign at the moment in terms of enforcing the client money protection legislation. So we all know that client money protection uh, legislation has been enforced since uh, 2019. But the reality is that, uh, it, you know, there's been issues with people getting client accounts, etc., etc. But actually, come April the 1st is the big D-Day when everybody, regardless of what their situation is as a, um, as a letting agent, if you are holding client money, you must have client money protection. So, of course, in the run-up to this, the National Training Standards have been out and imposing fines on people that don't are not complying with the legislation. And uh, they've got quite extensive powers in terms of fining. And there was a fine uh, given this, just this week to an agency that had let their client money protection lapse. I think it was only by a week or a few days. But of course, they got imposed a fine because the law doesn't recognise that you can have a little gap in between it. Mm. So trading standards are seen as the main uh, um, enforcement uh, body on this. But we know enforcement is a big issue because enforcement costs money and local councils and other people don't have the resources so what we would be hoping with a regulator is a regulator would be able to coordinate and streamline this um, and make enforcement effective because this i i I, we get it all the time ollie don't we 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 hear uh uh, the good agents turning around and say look we're spending x amount of money we do everything the right thing there but so and so down the road he's been operating undercutting doing all sorts of dodgy things and we don't get any support in mm. enforcement so enforcement is going to be key to this but it's it, you know it's the stick there are a lot of carrots involved in this and, and i think we need to understand that you know this should be something we should be aspiring to not yeah you know not saying it's, it, you know oh, oh well it's not worth doing because they're not enforcing it against the bad ones no, agreed. And I think, you know, history would suggest that enforcement is probably the weakest side of any kind of change within our industry, because any change comes in, you know, the, the vast majority of people try to comply. And then, like you rightly say, you have situations where agents generally say, well, hang on a minute, what about what about over there? You know, they're not doing anything and nothing seems to happen. But this does feel like a, a sea change more than anything else, maybe previously. And Rupert makes a good point here, which I, I think we both sympathise with. He says the Roper report very clearly states that the regulator is solely responsible for setting the syllabus how can anyone then prepare for a syllabus which has not been set by a regulator which has not been appointed i think we very much sympathize this we're talking about this ahead of the, ahead of today's webinar and saying you know you know we're trying to prepare um as much as possible and get it you know as, as good understanding as possible so you know as a, as an industry as letting agents you're well placed to slot into that change but yes rupert you are right the finer details indeed are yet to be confirmed and um we we may well be some time off that which we'll, we'll cover we'll cover shortly um sean you and i come from an insurance background i i I managed the insurance process here at Goodlord. So regulation to us is is nothing new. Um, and actually, um, in a lot of cases, it is extremely helpful. Um, it ensures good customer outcomes, does ensure that there's relevant checks and balances there to make sure that everybody's operating at the same level. And if they're not, um, they can be held accountable. Can you talk us through very quickly, you know, what other industries maybe, including insurance potentially, um, have benefited from similar regulation that we're talking about here to give give our sort of attendees a bit of a, 
an understanding about how this compares? Well, I, th- I think it ties in a little bit to Rupert's question about, uh, you know, how can we prepare on for what we don't know? And the insurance industry is a classic example of how you can get regulation that works for the industry in the right way. And what I mean by that is that uh, uh, way back when, before the, the regulation of the financial services industries came into place, uh, the insurance industry itself had set up a voluntary organisation. Um, I think it was the G- General Insurance Standards Council or something like that, GISC. And this was a, a voluntary body of all the big uh, um, operators in the market who got together and worked on qualifications and codes and other stuff there well in advance of uh, um, um, mandatory regulation coming into place. And of course, then we had the FC, uh, uh, the FSA coming, coming in. And the FS, FSA came in and uh, for its good and for good or ill, it, it regulated the whole of the financial industry. And ironically, the banking sector, which itself had uh, not done the preparation work that the insurance industry did, got imposed regulations and rules mm. and training and everything by the uh, by the government and the and, and the FSA. The insurance industry, on the other hand, because it actually had this framework uh, already in place, the government said, oh, well, that seems to be a nice model. Let's uh, let's adopt that. So pretty much on the insurance side, it kind of mirrored what was already in the voluntary side. So what you know, what I'm saying is that what the uh, lettings industry and the uh, state agency business can do is if you give the government a solution and you can demonstrate how it would work and and what would be part of it, you've done the hard work for them all they mm. then have to do is adopt it and move on to uh, uh to making it regulatory and mandatory and and i can give a classic example of what's going on at the moment and uh you know to show that although we are waiting we know that the government is in a certain amount of flux but what the industry has been doing is for example on the code is that uh we've got a group together across the industry Includes all the big players, uh, Property Mark, uh, NLA, uh, NR, NRLA, uh, the Ombudsman schemes, Uncle Tom Cobley and all in, uh, you know, led by Rick's uh, RICS. And what they've done is that they are putting together a high level code. Uh, the Property Ombudsman has said that they are willing to submit their code as a kind of a template to the industry as a whole. And for us to come up with a voluntary code that we can roll out and go out into the market and when the government come to saying well we need a code we'll say well look this is a code that already exists mm-hmm. it's tested out in the market it's working and uh, now this code is uh, is going to be high level uh, and when i mean high level uh, what you've got to remember that anything that the government adopts and puts into legislation kind of is like set in stone unless uh, you, you know you get parliament to go through and change it so mm. any code that you, you've got to do there it's got to be durable it's got to last so it's got to be something that that um uh, you know it's going to be the principles that will be universal for a long long time it's no point doing a code and then next year a bit of legislation changes if you, and you've got a whole process of having to update the code that will be the overarching code it will be something that the, the industry can look to that can uh, and say this is basically to be a property agent in the market these are the principles you have to abide by underneath that we know that um although we're all 
labelled as property agents and and are part of the property industry. There are so many different sectors and variations. Now, each one of those will probably need and will need a a, a sector-specific code. Being a letting agent is not the same as being a state agent, and it's definitely not the same as being a leasehold, uh, um, residential uh, leasehold managed property manager. They're different. They're different types in the industry. So each of the, the sectors should have their own kind of specific codes, which may or may not be uh, different to, um, uh, to to other parts of the uh, of the codes. Mm-hmm. And you raised a, good, raised a good point there in terms of the different stakeholders, because there's a few questions, and there was last time, if I remember rightly, around landlords themselves, so self-managing landlords, and whether they would be um, affected by um, by any any level of, of ROPA, and indeed whether that acts as a, to use your terminology, a character, a stick towards letting agents, because you know again, um, as we see regulation um, and legislation increase and change and become more complex, then the letting agents role becomes even more valuable, in my opinion. But um, do we have any understanding as the effect of this on self managing landlords themselves? Well. <sighs> The last uh, kind of universal code uh, that the RICS kind of coordinated and uh, we all signed up to um, did cover um, um, landlords as well. But Roper was very, very clear that it wanted to keep its remit to property agents. A lot of people argue, said, well, hold on, you know, it only represents part of the industry. Rightly or wrongly, a lot of uh, um, uh, landlords don't use letting agents or only use letting agents for, um, uh, you know, for tenant less than Less than half, right? Less than yeah, half less of than rented half. accommodation yeah. is managed by letting agents. So, you know, now, is this a scheme that's being introduced that's actually not going to have a widespread effect on the, on the, the market itself? No. So, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I've always felt that uh, from a consumer's point of view, it shouldn't matter whether your rental property is managed by a landlord or a letting agent. You should have the same protections across the board. And, uh, you know, so there is a lot of legislation out there that applies across a university, across the, uh, the industry. But, for example, in my scheme, we only cover complaints against a an agent. So a lot of the stuff there that uh, um, an agent does uh, on behalf of the landlord, we can deal with. But a lot of it we can't because it basically comes down to the responsibility of the uh, of the landlord. And that's why, you know, on the other hand, I am very, very, very passionate about introducing redress for landlords so that landlords are on the same par when it comes to um, people making complaints against them as letting agents and, and, and property managers. So that's another part of the key. It's separate to Roper, but it fits into the big picture as far as I'm yeah. concerned. And this, this then, I suppose, with, with that in mind, becomes as much understanding as then utilising the regulation points to then educate clients as to why this is important and what level you are at, maybe versus, say, the landlord themselves. And if a landlord feels that indeed your business is regulated and, and knowledgeable, um, which I'm sure it may already be, uh, to a level that is far far outweighs where they are, then actually potentially your agency becomes more attractive. So there's an element of sell, I suppose, in here that you can utilise these kind of things as very positive changes for the market. Let's look at that in more detail. Let's look at the important, um, sorry, the, the effect of this 
this onto letting agents. So I briefly covered the qualifications, and we've got a few questions coming in around those. So let me let me maybe start there. Um, bear with me, Sean. Want to just find those ones? We've got quite a few in actually. Uh, a question from Junior: What level of qualification will one need to be registered as an independent estate agent when Roper comes into force slash law? So I think it, it really depends on your role within that business, doesn't it, Sean? It does, but what they are saying is that the minimum qualification should be what's called level three, which is equivalent to A uh, A levels. So you know, it's 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 not a, a, a you know a quick multiple choice um, qualification, uh, but it probably is not uh, you know as as extensive as if you have uh, gone through to be a fellow of uh, property mark or um, uh, you know other qualifications that you can get which go up to degree level and beyond. So what you would be saying is that the minimum standard would be around about an A-level standard. And you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, one of the big questions is going to be, well, I run an estate agent. I've got, you know, I've got X number of staff here. Do they all need to be qualified to the same standard? We have different roles. We have the people in the back office. We have the people who are doing the negotiations. Uh, we have the uh, the people who are undertaking the property management work itself. And that is one of the things we need to be thrashed out in terms of the uh, the degree of qualifications needed for those particular parts of uh, the uh, of your business what we're talking about in terms of a, a level three qualification is it's that holistic general knowledge that you will need to operate compliantly safely and uh, to the to the standards that you need to be uh, so that would be all the all the legislation and be aware of it and you've got to remember that you know you've got people that are um, in the back office that have to know this in detail but every single uh, um, negotiation needs to know those general pieces of legislation because from the first contact they have with the customer that shapes the whole relationship that you have with 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 your landlords and your tenants ongoing and in in the estate agency business the buyer and the seller so just to give you another bit of an update of what's going on at the moment i'm sitting on a major group at the moment and watch this space in the next couple of weeks uh, a major survey is going to be uh, put out into the um, industry uh, led by national trading standards and backed by the ministry uh, and this is supported by the portals and again the ombudsman schemes and other things and this is going to be a major survey on what information that an agent is obliged by law to disclose to a buyer seller tenant at the t- a point of transaction this is all under the uh, consumer protection law this is all about the fact that uh, the law is very very uh, strong on what information is known as material information and we know that um, uh, issues such as Grenfell and the, and the health and safety stuff that's going on and fire safety that this is a big concern at the moment now this is your you know this is the information from the very first contact from the date that you put your stuff onto the portal to the date that the 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 the, uh, the first viewings occur this information is is vital and mm. you know we we've gone uh, you know we all see that that a lot of agents don't really understand and are quite confused about their obligations and, and what they can and, and should be disclosing. 
And part of that, you know, uh, uh, is because the industry, um, and we've just done a major survey across uh, two of our brands at, uh, at the Hamilton Fraser Group, uh, which I'm part of, Property Redress part of. Uh, we did a major sentiment um, uh, survey, which the results will be published uh, in, in, a, in the last week, week, week. And it showed that 76% of, uh, of agents uh, felt that the biggest burden on, one of the biggest burdens on them was, uh, was the, all the legislation and keeping on top of it. You know, 90% of them didn't feel that they got any help or support from the government. So surely, who's there now to help the agent to do the right thing? Well, I think it ties, it, it ties into a point that Faye made, actually, Sean, here, um, which I think is a fair one. You know, the market, the legislation is moving so fast. And, you know, I, I appreciate in the last 13 months, our industry has been, um, you know, changeable because of the pandemic very much so and you look at sort of the moves in legislation but you know over the last 10 years there's been, been substantial change and she's asking you know does there need to be an assurance that you know once this basically introduced that qualification is is, is good for you know a period of time that there's not further change on top of change and you know i, I can understand that concern what would be your thoughts in, in regards to that well look with a, with any kind of uh, regulatory regime you need the the base qualifications the starting point but then ongoing, you want to make sure that the people who are being regulated are keeping up to date, are doing um, uh, continuous professional development, et cetera, et cetera. So the reality is that the qualifications, it's not going to be you take the qualifications and that's good for 30 years and you don't have to worry about doing anything else. We are talking about part of the um, uh, of the training regime being that you will do your continual professional development that you'll keep up to date but at the moment that's all down to you that's mm. all down to you if you join property mark great because they have that embedded if, if you're a landlord and you're part of the nrla again that's embedded but when you look at the figures of how many people actually uh, join those organizations it, it's relatively small uh, compared to the size of the market and for example on the property redress scheme uh, we've 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 over 14 and a half um, thousand separate entities rep, rep, uh, over foot 15 15 and a half thousand branches uh, uh, agency branches up and down the country and most of them are the smaller guys the startups you, you know they're not the the big guys that, that mm. have the resources to do it they're the ones there that are, are you know running businesses with maybe two three four people they having to do everything from uh, you know from cleaning the office through to you know to uh, running the money up to the bank every every every, every week they do everything they, they don't I could have pitch I could pitch anything. good lord at that stage but I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to <laughs> very hard um, but you know on those small agencies this indeed is I mean arguably small or big you know, if you if you if you're a large agency, you've got a, a huge structural uh, structural operation, logistical you know process to get this off the ground, get people bought into it. That's important because there's yeah. a personal element to this, and I want to touch on that shortly. Um, but there's also a cost attributed, whether you're small or big, and it's all relative. I want to cover the cost and then come on to a few questions around timelines. Um, do we have any understanding of cost yet um, in terms of what we're what we're looking at here? No, but I think what uh, the uh, industry is pushing to say is it has to be proportional to, you know, to, to, to the sector. I'm not going to pluck figures out of the air, but yeah. cost should not be a prohibition to training and, and, and education. So it will be pitched at an affordable rate. But it's, it's like anything else. I mean, uh, it, you know, you're not going to get it 
well, if you pay peanuts, you're going to get, uh, you know, monkeys. So it can't be so cheap that, you know, that, uh, you know, it's negligible. There will be a, a, um, a cost and that cost will have to be factored into your business. I, I, I don't know. Compare, compare the prices of, of property mark. I think it will be not significantly lower than that, but I can't see it being more than what uh, property mark charge for their training at the moment okay so you use that as a guide for now um yeah. and again we you know we I, I get the impression we're going to be doing another session like this in three four months time and so on and so on until this is, is delivered um, yeah. until we understand more when you've got better insights through the working groups that you know you, you're indeed um involved in so um in terms of timeline and you know it's never it's never great when we're saying well we don't really know this is what we think but again the point of this webinar is to try and give you an understanding at best uh, of where we think things are at and try and give a guide because you know if we fail to prepare for this i think it's it's going to come as a big shock and you know it's going to have an effect on your business but in terms of timelines what do you think we're looking at here because we're still yet to see the finalized proposal on this so that needs to be completed right and then presented Correct. So the government um, or the ministry have been doing the work in the background. They say it's still continuing. Um, so let's 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 be optimistic and say that uh, by summer we've got COVID under control, and the government is uh, looking forward to implementing some of their manifesto promises um, uh, to, towards the latter part of the year. You know, if I was um, sitting, you know, in number ten at the moment, I'd be thinking, you know. September's coming up, party conferences are coming. I, I want to go with a positive agenda for the country, take it forward, uh, you know, part of our plan for recovery. And hopefully the renters' uh, rights bill will move to the next stage of its, uh, of, of its um, of progress. So at the moment, the renters' rights bill has been presented to Parliament in what's called the first reading. Mm. Now, the first reading is literally, they've made the name up, and they just read out the, uh, the title of the bill, the Renters' right, uh, uh, Rights Bill, and uh, they set a date for the second reading. And the second reading is when they actually publish the draft proposal that's going to be part of that bill. So we haven't got to the stage of the Renters' uh, um, uh, Reform Bill being given a date for the second reading. So I would be, I would say that probably uh, that will come into the session uh, in the autumn and, and a bill will be published and drafted for that. So if mm. that happens, if it doesn't happen, then we're back on the long finger. If it does happen, then we're looking at that going through the parliamentary uh, system. And I suspect, uh, I suspect with the renters' uh, rights bill, it is like uh, any bit of legislation, you can add practically anything to a uh, a bill subject to it being relevant to the title and the intention of the bill so there is a great scope to adding to the renters rights um bill which is primarily going to uh, look at uh, the eviction process section 21 and yeah. that um but it's also said it's going to look at deposits and a couple of other things there but it seems to be the right vehicle to put in Roper, in my view. Mm. Yeah. It's also the right vehicle, in my view, to put in landlord redress. And believe you me, if the government doesn't put it in, one of the opposition parties may well decide to put an amendment and add that in, yeah. as happened with the Tenant Fees Act and other and all the other acts that we've got. That what was started as the draft, by the time it went through Parliament, had added other things added in that maybe 
we expected and hoped for and others that we didn't necessarily want to see. And, and like you say, um, it, it was my saying too, this, this bill has actually been, the work has continued throughout, albeit it's been, it's been stunted, but work has continued throughout the pandemic on this bill. Um, as much as we, it was suggested, it was suggested that this could be something that was announced in sort of June, July, probably looking unlikely now how, in terms of how COVID's pushed back, that was pre-Christmas. But we should expect that this year. So therefore, you know, we're more than likely in looking at, you know, 2022 is the year of change, um, arguably, uh, well, for the, these levels of regulation. Yes, well, uh, you, you know, all things being equal and, and it going through the parliamentary process, we could be looking at uh, 2022 uh, for the bill being uh, issued. But not everything in that in that bill will be implemented exactly on day one sure so for example uh you know uh whatever they they they, they cook up or, or or come up with for uh, a change to the eviction process will probably go into force uh relatively soon uh after the uh, the bill has been issued but for example uh, the Tennessee deposit schemes which uh, um, the legislation was passed in 2005 they didn't come in until 2007 because yeah. what you've got to think about is that once you've got that in place you've got to uh, do all the background stuff which is uh, work out what the structure of a regulator is going to be put together your code uh, put together your enforcement all of these things will need to come into place uh, the training is going to be very important because the training uh, no doubt what they'll do is they will tender out uh, for people to provide that on behalf of the uh, the government so just like your kids when they do their GCSEs and their A levels uh, you know there's a, a national syllabus and they do A levels there but there are all these different boards Oxford and Cambridge London all of these things there. they're all p- provide the service so that's how i envisage it will happen and that will probably take a further two years so i I think we're we're looking uh we're looking at this hopefully if everything sticks to the timetable which fingers crossed i'm hoping will happen we're looking at 2024 it it, it coming into into full operation so yeah we are we're not talking a huge amount of time down the line but you know let's take a realistic thing there that you know by 2024 uh, it might be up and running uh, and, and, and part of our, our regime. Mm. Um, and um, a question from, from Kay, which may be personal to a lot of agents, actually, is, is the expectation here this will be more like a coursework-led operation? Is this uh, exam-led? Um, Do we have any understanding what these qualifications actually take to achieve um, at this moment in time? I think I think there will be some form of test exam at the end of it. You know, it will be it will be a course led approach. So, uh, you know, if we look at the rudimentary system they've got in Wales for Rent Smart Wales, you turn up and you do almost a multiple choice. I think it's going to be it's definitely going to be beyond that. But it needs a framework and a framework of of uh, you know of coursework and, and continuous professional uh, development as well afterwards. So yes, I think there will be there will definitely be some form of exam. Okay. And the question from from Shannon was around the cost, um just before we move on. And she's asking who should pay for the cost? Is this a cost that the employers, as in the letting agents, should should cover? Or is this a cost to be passed down to the employees? Because my guess would be once you have this qualification, this will last for a period of time. And indeed, you know, the lettings industry is relatively transient. How does, how does that feature in, in your mind so far? Well, I, I, I think, I think uh, the intention is clear that whilst individuals working in the industry should be qualified, uh, the, the company should be licensed and regulated. Mm. So in my view, personal view, 
is that it, it, it's a cost of business. And if you value your employees and you want the best employees, you invest in, in, in them uh, uh, with that. So I think the progressive way is that the employer um, uh, trains the staff. You know, they benefit from the individual being trained and qualified on that. Agreed. Yeah. And it, it, I think at the end of the day, it's the business is going to be culpable if they haven't managed to achieve the right, the right statuses. So, yeah. um, and I, I know the next question. Why should we train up uh, our staff for them to leave to our competitor? Well, it's it, that. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a that's probably another webinar in, in itself. Um, Absolutely. But, um, uh, I think look, that, look well, if you invest in your staff and you put in that regime, Ali, you know your staff your staff retention is going to be high. Yeah. You no, know, I, I would. I would. Um, if you expect them to go and do night school and uh, and and pay for it themselves. As my poor mother, back in the day when she uh, came over from Ireland and uh, uh, joined a, a, um, an insurance broker and, and asked, asked him in those days, you know, it was a, a, not as progressive as it was in those days as a, as a lady, uh, could she, uh, how did she progress in this industry and was explained that you can do the insurance exam, but I ain't paying for it. So she promptly signed up, paid for a course and attended a night school uh, right. turned up into uh, it turned up at the, uh, at the the class there she was the only woman of uh, in 24 people Goodness one me. of the whom was my dad so i wouldn't be here if my mother hadn't kind of pushed her luck <laughs> so uh, so what you're saying is we should be keeping our eyes out for roper babies is what you is what you're trying to say i don't know um, um in terms of um of training and this is a point that i think a lot will sympathize with what happens to those industry experts who have been in the industry 20, 30 years, have done their jobs unbelievably well, but simply do not want to go through what is, you know, what is a demanding qualification? No two ways. Um, life is busy. Do we expect to see an exodus of that level of staff because of the introduction of this scheme? Right. So I think it, it is inevitable with any change when any uh, environment changes uh, that it, it will become non-conducive to some people that have been in the industry. They won't, they won't feel that they have the energy or the inclination to change. Mm. And they may take the view that that's their time to, uh, to leave and uh, enjoy their retirement. Saying that uh, one of the big issues that was discussed quite extensively in the uh, Roper working groups was what's called grandparenting, which is how much experience can uh, be transferred either as exemptions or as um, de facto qualification. Yeah. And I think the, uh, and remember this was a group of the industry as well as, you know, uh, the civil servants and uh, others who were supporting uh, the, 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 the working group. Uh, the, the view was that grandparenting should be discouraged and that just being around for a long time wasn't a justification to say that you, you knew what you were doing. Saying that, uh, I do think there will be, uh, you know, a certain amount of um, understanding that if you've got property mark qualifications, say, for example, or you can demonstrate that you have equivalent uh, parts of it. Certain parts of it might give you some sorts of exemptions. But the whole point of getting this, uh, this, this training is it's got to be relevant about being a letting agent and an estate agent today. Yeah. And therefore, it will benefit anybody in the industry to actually have this training um, as well as the qualification. So if we see it as training as well as uh, qualification... So qualification is you prove that you know what you know, and training is about learning new things. Then I think anybody in the industry, whether they've been in it for five minutes or 35 years, would 
should be able to benefit from 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 a well structured um, um, qualification. And again, preparation is key here, right? Preparation in understanding, and hopefully we do get to understand more, you know, um, more absolute detail around this to be able to prepare our staff, prepare agencies, prepare businesses, you know, to understand what's coming ahead. Because, you know, nobody likes anything sprung on them. But if, you know, remember, staff understands that in six months or a year's time, this is what you're going to have to do. And there's ways to get ahead of that. That's always, you know, uh, in my, my opinion, a preferable stance. Um, so it's not just dropped on your desk when you've got no understanding about what, what you're actually doing. So I think we, we have to see how that one plays out. But, um, yeah, I think we, we accept that for some, this, this will be a change that they just don't want to make. But that will be a, a personal preference, I'm sure. OK, let, let's move on. So <laughs> we're asking why now. It's not so much why now, but why, why is this process being introduced and the aim of this, of course, is to improve the process um, and it is to protect consumers in the market. So h- how do we think this will improve the process and what the customer sees? And if it's not going to improve that, do we think it improves the level of confidence maybe a customer has in, in the industry itself and the parties involved? Well, Ollie, I think that that's the, uh, the million dollar question. I, I was thinking about this uh, over the last couple of days about the experience that a consumer has with with, with property agents. And again, I, you know, I want to come back to this uh, um, survey that we did, sentiment survey, and actually the satisfaction levels that kind of were revealed from that. Um, and 14,000 people replied, a, a large number of them were tenants um, that replied. So it had a very Good high set. engagement of, uh, of yeah. from tenants. So they are your consumers, they are your customers. And the, you know, the satisfaction rates were generally very high across, across the, uh, the their experience of dealing with a letting agent. Uh, similar sort of uh, figures, you know, uh, uh, came out from uh, um, uh, from the landlords and their experience of the agents. So overall, I think that you know the consumer of the industry is relatively uh, happy with the standard of uh, of service they get from the industry. Saying that, you know, I work in I work in redress. I see the complaints. And I am flabbergasted sometimes. And these are not bad people. These are not bad people in any shape or form of how little understanding there is of some of the legislation out there. And this is not even the more complicated part of the legislation. When it comes to the kind of the more uh, um, complicated legislation, if they can't grasp the basics, and these, I, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers and saying you know but they you know because they they don't always come across these sort of things every single day and they don't see it necessarily when uh, you know it, it, um, when they go into um uh, in the industry they don't actually say well actually oh, well i've got to really understand that what happens in those particular uh, parts of it mm. but of course when the consumer's using you okay they expect you to have that knowledge yeah so it, it, you know, this is why I think, for the consumer's point of view, for their protection, okay, and of course now you know with client money protection and uh, uh, professional indemnity insurance, all of these things are essential to have in the background. But in terms of the customer experience and the protection on that, knowledge is key. And you know, it's 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 your biggest one of your biggest commodities. You, you know, that you're selling, you're selling your expertise and knowledge. That's that's your goods. That's your, that's your product. And and a question from from, from Rupert um, in line with that kind of um, investment and in that in, in the introduction of Rupert. Do you think we'll see agent fees increase? Now, I think I may be wrong, Rupert. I think the question is coming from the fact that there's a cost incurred, and therefore that will be added to the service 
uh, feet as landlords. I would potentially argue if you are um, seem to be more knowledgeable and leading the leading the way, you have the right to justify higher fee to agents. And you know, um, I appreciate that's a simplistic view, but you know, do we expect to see fee changes because of this, whether because of the cost or indeed, you know, carving out a more expert area of the market? Honestly, my opinion, I I I, I certainly think for good agent fees are ridiculously low. This again is another <laughs> webinar. This is something that I will. <laughs> If I mean, you, anybody that's attended our round table, if you no, I've do, if you do everything, Ollie, that you're meant to do on the tin to be a good um, uh, letting or estate agent, you are underselling yourself. Mm. Unfortunately, because so many agents don't do what they're meant to be doing, any fee is too expensive for some of the people out there. And, yeah. and, and the consumer is, is being ripped off by those people because they are not giving any value for money. But, but when I see agents that follow and have the best practice and then look at them, they're having to compete with people that aren't doing that. Fees are, you know, they, they are charging ridiculously low fees for what the service that an, a letting agent, a landlord or a tenant can get from a really good agent. But the, because we don't have this regulation in place and everybody's on a level playing field, you know, the, the, the competition can offer a very poor service and, and undercut a good agent. And an agent then who is trying to do all the right things, it's been forced down in price uh, because of uh, of that. So regulation will lead to more, to fairer fees, I would say, for both the industry and for the consumer. The consumer will get what they pay for and you will be able to charge a realistic and a fair price for that. At the moment, you know, uh, it's a race to the bottom uh, uh, because because you're competing with people that, you know, are not uh, investing in the same um, knowledge, standards, skills that you have. So that's- and, and that's an education piece, isn't it? And again, I think I think actually we could do, um, and I've always given us feedback, if, if we want a multi-panel um, webinar on how to improve your fee and including the likes of Sean and others, more than happy to do that. This is something we used to do at Good Lord in roundtable meetings for any of you on the call today that may remember that. Um, I'm a massive advocate of this. Um, I'm a massive advocate of agents. I was an agent rainmaker uh, webinar a, a few weeks ago, and I thought it was worth noting the point that, you know, letting agents and estate agents in this country in the last 13, 13 odd months, um, and obviously before, but definitely in the last 13 months, have provided an unbelievable level of service in the most challenging of times. I mean, unbelievable level of service, putting themselves in positions that, frankly, you know, they're probably uncomfortable to do so because of the threat of the pandemic. But they've continued to do that under legislation that is maybe not helpful um, in some areas. Other legislation has been very helpful for the, for, the, for the agencies in terms of, say, stamp duty. But they do a fantastic job on the main. And, you know, there's nothing worse than looking looking at a fee, uh, uh, fee sort of um, spread from agents and think, well, actually, you're worth another two or three percent on that on the letting side or another you know percentage on the sales side so um i think value and cost are two very different things when we come to our market and one that we should be supporting you as agents to do as much as possible indeed we try and do that here at good lord and i think you know from sean's perspective his group of companies do exactly the same to try and add more value and more protection as part of what they offer um okay conscious of time um i think we have covered the majority of this in terms of where we are now and thank you for your insights in terms of what's happening in the background i think the pertinent question on this slide um, is what we should be doing to prepare as of today is it is this more a fyi um heads up these things are happening here's where we are placeholder or is there actually actions letting agents can take from this call that is going to help them prepare for ropa i think 
the industry itself is is trying to progress things forward. So watch out for the uh, the new voluntary code that's coming out. I think that you're looking at your business in terms of say, well, actually, let's assume that when uh, training and make qualifications going to come out there, that they will be minimum standards. So how can I get better training? So have a look out there. Uh, you know, uh, as I say, we've talked about property mark. We've talked about, you know, the National Landlord Association's out there that are helping uh, for that landlords. I just want to say, uh, you know, the property, uh, uh, the residential property management side, two big organisations out there, ARMA uh, and uh, the IRPRM, provide training and stuff there. They're all been part of these these working groups um, doing that. So I would say prepare yourself, not just because it's regulations coming, but prepare yourself because it's the right thing to do for your customer. So mm. Go out there and, and source training and, and look for training. Uh, Hamilton Fraser, we're looking very much at, uh, uh, at what we can offer in terms of uh, of training. And we're working with the Guild of uh, Property um, of Letting Agents to actually provide courses. So we, we were offering those out at the moment. And this will all kind of like prepare you and your staff for the, the Big Bang when it comes, you know, uh, hopefully. By and the it's... End. It's not the only thing either, is it? There's lots of other things going on. There's lots of other moving parts. There's lots of other focuses that you have as businesses too. And I think, um, I think my advice would be to make sure as well your business is 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 fit for fit for the future in terms of making sure all the other processes nailed down. And this isn't a good lord pitch that you know. There's, there's other systems out there that do this. There's other CRMs that do this. There's other processes you can follow in house that are more manual. But make sure from a compliance perspective, every other box is ticked. So you've got some assurity that the process and the framework you're working to is you know compliant. It's um, it's sustainable um, as your business scales and it's as efficient as possible. And that will ultimately allow time for you to focus on things like challenges like Ropa, even just affording time and staff time if, you, if, if your business is as slick and fluid as it possibly can be when it comes yeah. to processes. And I have to say, I have to say, Ollie, you know, that philosophy of good Lord is, you know, is exactly right because you, you, you're putting uh, technological solutions uh, uh, forward. But you've got the background of understanding the industry and why it is needed, and that's so so essential. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff there and tech now that can help, but you've got to understand it. it's got to understand the, the the industry and work with the industry to understand it. We've got to take you know take control of the destiny of this. In you know, it's the industry that's been pushing for this. Government in the past have been quite reluctant about um, uh, regulation. Certainly. Um, the current colour of government has always been uh, about cutting red tape and bureaucracy, but it's the industry that's pushing for this, not not uh, you know not government top down on that. So to stop it from being top down, we need to take back control of it. So the industry needs to work together. Yeah, no, definitely. And and again, um, I think as many as many bodies in industry working together, aligning their processes and looking to give solutions to agents to to make these things as easy as possible is beneficial. Um, you know, I think as an industry and a sector, we do a great job and we can continue to be better and better through great collaborations. And, you know, I think we we value that, Sean, as a business, as do you guys. And I think you know, a lot of agents do as well. Um, I'm conscious of time. We have run out of time, um, unfortunately. Uh, there's plenty of different threads we could pull here. Sean, good luck for your vaccine this afternoon. Um, I hope you feel Thank well you afterwards. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on once again. Um, and again, no doubt we'll be we'll be joining forces again in a couple of months' time and understanding more uh, about Rover and whether it's moved forward. But again, thank you very much to yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ollie. Thank you. Thank you. 
Another big thank you to Sean for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a rating. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. But until then, make sure you visit us at goodlord.co slash newsagent, where you'll find the latest news and data on the leadings industry, which includes our upcoming webinars, on-demand webinars, free resources, you name it. We'll see you next time.